0: My friends, welcome back to another episode of the Shema podcast, where I always have questions and I always bring on brilliant, wonderful, amazing rabbis to answer these questions for us. So the question I wanted to explore is this whole idea of why the Almighty wanted us to build the Mishkan, the tabernacle, and then we built the temples and Everything you read about, you know, at, at the Pesach Seder, we say next year in Jerusalem, the Jewish people are always looking forward to the the building of the third permanent final temple. But it brings a lot of questions, doesn't it? Like, why does the Almighty need this infrastructure in order to dwell in this world? And when you study these parshas, we've been studying for the last four weeks where it goes over The dimensions and the fabrics and the metals and the items that are inside of the Mishkan with the exact dimensions. It's like, you know, does the Almighty have a certain preference for home decor that he needs in order to dwell in that space? It's a little bizarre, but of course, the more bizarre it is, the more deeper meaning there is behind it. And I want to definitely explore and understand that. And the other thing I've been trying to do is always take everything I learn and fit it into the big picture. Why God created the world. God created the world in order to bestow goodness to another. And so he created first our nishamas. But you would think if he created another to bestow goodness to, he could have stopped right there. But he didn't. He created the heavenly worlds. Then he created this physical world, this vast universe. And then at the middle of it, with planet Earth, he took our nishamas, put them down into this humanoid, fleshy creature that we live in with sensory perception so limited we could not detect him. And I heard this beautiful idea the other day that it really is all about having a relationship from a father to a young child and then through the experiences of living lifetimes in this world is then having a relationship between a father and an adult child. You know, the adult child, when they look back to their father and all the things the father did growing up, they have such appreciation. I appreciate that you grounded me for my toys. I get why you were doing that. Everything fits into this framework. And so we go through these lifetimes and we have these experiences, but it, I still cannot reconcile Why he needs this structure in order to dwell here with us. So, I have with us today in the Shema Podcast studio the charming and wise Rabbi Bressler to teach us about this very important topic and bring clarity to why the Almighty needs that temple and why we need the temple for him to dwell among us. Welcome to the Shema Podcast. The podcast
1: for the perplexed, where Torah insights intertwined through personal stories as well as interviews with leading Torah scholars demonstrate the empowering qualities of Torah and mitzvot. For more great Torah learning through Torch, the Torah Outreach Center of Houston, go to torchweb.org. Now to the show.
0: Rabbi, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We appreciate you being here and sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you. The pleasure is mine. So tell us, since you're new to the Shema podcast, hopefully this is just your first time you join us, tell us a little bit about yourself. You are now at the Meierland Minion. Talk a little bit about that and give the audience a little background on yourself, if you will. So I grew up in a small place called Brooklyn, New York. Perhaps you've heard of that one. And
1: growing up in Brooklyn was uh, always an amazing experience. City boy, taking the trains and the schools to... Yeshiva, real city experience, but I always envisioned myself moving to a place with a smaller Jewish community, an or smaller Orthodox community, because I always felt the sense of yearning of connecting with people outside my community, not just to be limited to this space that I was stuck in Brooklyn, where everybody was doing the same thing, you know, and the same routine. I wanted to just get out and do something different. And I met my wonderful wife, Chai, who also, we shared the same dreams and the same vision, the same goal of moving what we would call in Brooklyn, out of town, even though people in Houston might say, what? Houston's out of town? (laughs) Houston's a city. It's the (laughs) fourth largest city. But we both wanted to connect with people outside of the Brooklyn setting and really connect them also back to their heritage, because there are thousands of people here that are really looking for meaning and looking for connection, and we felt that we could help them do that and help them bring them back to heritage and connect them with their rich legacy that they have.
0: Well, beautiful. And we appreciate that. There are more of us who are in that place where my listeners, myself, we grew up in a secular world and and we are all entirely grateful that Jews like yourself who were brought up and nurtured in such wisdom that you come out of the, the world that you lived in and share it with us. So thank you so much. So, you joined meyerland Minion. How, how long ago was that? Around five months ago. Okay. Describe your synagogue, just in case one of the listeners is either lives in the Houston area or maybe they live somewhere else but are traveling here. Talk a little bit about your shul and what makes it unique from some of the other shuls here in Houston.
1: So Myrland Minion Synagogue, we would describe it as a outreach synagogue. It's an outreach synagogue, meaning to say that We really don't care what your background is. We consider ourselves very diverse as far as the people that attend the synagogue. And we're an outreach synagogue. We love to, as I mentioned before, we love to connect people to their rich legacy, their rich heritage, and show them the meaning of Judaism that they never knew existed. We like to show them and give them an appreciation and an excitement and a passion for what we would say uh, Yiddishka, which means Judaism, Um, Give them the appreciation for that. Give them, show them that there really is so much more beneath the surface than you've already known. People think that Judaism is this boring, you know, some rabbi sitting up there and murmuring and some cantor doing, oh, doing his thing, right? (laughs) Right. But there's so much more to it. And in fact, somebody told me that the first time he came to my synagogue, he said he was just blown away by, you mean there's something more to Judaism than just listening to a cantor and sitting there and turning the pages? And like, when is this done? Right, exactly. There's meaning, there's, there's, there's Torah studying, and you could enjoy it. You could actually have fun learning Torah. And that's something we really try to bring to people, that there's pleasure in learning Torah. There's pleasure in connecting with God. And we try to show that to people. And that's something that hopefully people do feel after coming to a davening, a prayer service in Minion
0: Synagogue. Absolutely. Someone's been there. It's, it's definitely the case. You know, when I first sort of like learned the truth about Torah, I was like, okay, I want to... I want to embrace my Judaism. I want to learn what Torah is telling me. And I wanted to start just observing the Jewish holidays. And I was totally unaware of the vast majority of Jewish holidays. I remember I I did the Outlook Jewish holiday download, and I thought my computer was going to crash. I didn't know what was happening with all the stuff plopping down in my calendar. But before I found that feature in Microsoft Outlook, I was recalling Hanukkah, Passover. And I remembered the high holidays that occurred in the fall. And what I remember from them as a kid is that it was a time to feel remorse for all the bad things you did. And God's way of punishing you for all your sins was to make you sit in synagogue all day long.
1: Right. So that's why if you have a Hebrew English sitter, so you know, all the more so, you get more of an atonement because it's twice the amount of pages. Right. As opposed exactly. to
0: exclusively Hebrew, all right, not such an atonement. Okay. Right, right, right. Okay. So answer these questions. I think this is a, a big mystery to a lot of us as we as we look inside and you start to study the Parsha, you see all this stuff written about the, the Mishkan and we know about the temples, as I said. But there's obviously something very, very deep here. So if you could help us understand this.
1: Okay, just as a uh, introduction to this question, I will say that there's definitely deeper meanings which I don't have the answer to. There's esoteric, mystical explanations to the physical structure, and the deeper meaning as to why God needed a specific place. I'm going to explain it on a more superficial level and the way I understand it. And I uh, hope that's okay with, with you and everybody listening. So God wanted that there should be a specific place where his presence should be most intensely felt and revealed. And there was a reason for that. The reason for that is is because... Well, there is a reason for that. The reason for that is... Hashem did not want to reveal Himself with that intense revelation throughout the entire world because that's really our job. Our job is to illuminate the darkness. Our job is to serve God despite Hashem being concealed. If there would be this intense revelation, if Hashem would be openly revealed throughout the world and there would be the same level of spiritual presence, then there would be no free will. I mean, we know that they say that the angels, the angels have no free will. Now, that's somewhat true, but not really true. The reason why it's not 100% accurate is because technically or theoretically speaking, angels do have free will. But what what we mean is that they don't have free will in the sense that because God's revealing himself to them in such an open way, they can't sin because God is there. God's in front of them. Nobody would sin when God's openly revealed to them. So in that respect, yes, they don't have free will Because how could you go against God if God is standing right here? So that's the idea, that's our job, that's our purpose That even in concealment, even when God is not felt openly We serve him anyways
0: Right, 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 that makes sense There is that Parsha talking about there was two angels That were being critical of mankind during the era of Noah And so I guess is to make an example So the other angels wouldn't be so judgmental he put them into this world, and they were the worst sinners out there. Once right. God was concealed, he said, so. "Oh,
1: you think you guys think you could do this? Let's let's see."
0: All right, right, exactly. And but in that sort of you just sort of answered an element of that first question was how does that help us connect to Hashem if He's using our lifetime here to form us into the relationship of, of an adult child? Part of that is to be a co-creator. It's why he starts counting time when he first sent our nishamas here at that moment because he says, now you finish completing the world and which I guess became the responsibility of the Jewish people out of the merit of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so that's part of it. So it's sort of like, it sounds like the, the mishkan or the temple is sort of like our home base. It's like, the superhero layer we get recharged, we can spread Hashim's light to the rest of the world.
1: That's exactly, that's exactly part of it. And we know what happens when a person gets inspired. Not always does the inspiring uh, moments last. Right. A person gets inspired and then the moment passes. It's fleeting sometimes. It doesn't last. Right. So in other words, even if we have that home base, like you just said, that doesn't mean that we don't have free will because it's up to us to develop and strengthen that connection. And that, that meaningful connection of going to the temple. And by the way, you couldn't always go to the temple. You had to be deserving. You had to work on it. There was an effort that had to be invested on your part. So yes, we had that home base, that recharge, that spiritual recharge that we could go to the temple, we could get reconnected and recharged and get inspired. But that didn't take away our free will. But if we'd have that intensity throughout the world, then that would take away our free will. Because there wouldn't be any darkness in the world, and our job, is, our job, I'm sorry, is to bring godliness into the world, illuminate the darkness, to be creators like you said, to be builders. You know, the rabbis are called, interestingly, the rabbis, tamid chachamim, are called, it says children, but it can also be read builders. Bonaich can be read bonayich. In other words, because we know there's no vowels in the Torah, so one word can be pronounced Several different ways. So the word Bonaech children, can also be pronounced Bonaech builders. Because the scholars, the Torah scholars, are really builders because they're constantly creating. And Hashem wants to give us that opportunity to create. That's the most intense pleasure available to human being, is to be creators. And to be creators, what type of creators? Creators of spirituality. Bringing godliness. That's the most intense type of creation. To be resembling God And just like God built this world for the purpose of spirituality, we can be like God and resemble God by building spirituality.
0: And closeness outside of a realm of space and time is likeness. So that's what he's trying to do is give us an opportunity to be like him so we can be close. Beautiful. And And I was just going to say, too, that you're right. It's not like the temple before took away our free will because we we lost it twice. Correct. (laughs) 100%. We still have that. With the temple, without the temple, we have free will, we
1: have our service of
0: God to do. You mentioned that we had to be deserving, Rabbi, of the temple back then. What, what exactly do you mean by that? I mean that
1: every connection and every relationship comes with actions, comes with efforts. A person who doesn't work on a relationship, the relationship is broken. So that's what I mean, deserving. Deserving, not like like you mentioned at the beginning with Yom Kippur. God is not out there to punish us and to, you know... Sit, stand with a rod. I'm going to get you guys. That's not what God is looking to do. But the bottom line is, is that Hashem wants to give us pleasure. And the deepest pleasure available to us is when we put in our effort, when we invest with our own actions, when we build a relationship. And if that's not going to happen, Hashem's going to sort of make it happen in other ways.
0: It sounds like, too, with one of the problems with any relationship is that you can take the other one for granted. And sometimes that distance that takes place can generate so much remorse and then gratitude for the relationship you had that it creates more permanent when that relationship is restored.
1: That's what I'm told by relationship experts, so I'm assuming that's true. (laughs) (laughs) They say, you know, when a person is looking for a soulmate, and one of the benefits, even though there's many downsides to waiting a long time, but one of the benefits for a person who takes longer to find that one, that loved one that that person is looking for, the he or the she that's looking for their spouse is that
0: the person comes to appreciate the spouse that much more. That's what they say. Was that part of the problem of why we lost the temple the first and second time? Because we just lost the appreciation? Because that caused us to not be deserving to continue to have that temple and that level of intimacy with Hashem.
1: I think so. I think also that part of it is is that things were just coming to us. There were miracles constantly. And when that happens, so... On one hand, there's a tremendous presence of Hashem. On the other hand, we take things for granted because we're not putting in effort. We're not building that relationship. When Hashem is just throwing things at us, here's the manna, here's the, you know, here's the clouds of glory, here's this, here's that. So it sort of leaves us as being people that are not independent, but more dependent. And Hashem created us to be independent builders, as we said before, to work on our relationship, to develop a connection to him and not just to be dependent on God. That's not, that's not what Hashem created us for. When that happens, number one, yes, we take things for granted. And number two is it's not what Hashem created us for.
0: Right. That makes sense. And so you sort of explain why the, he wanted a specific structure, a specific space, a locale, of course, in Jerusalem, where he would have that, his divine presence there. So that we could take that and then spread it with the rest of the world. So that that does answer that question. But why the specifics of that structure? Yeah, he could have just said, look, I want you just to map out some square footage with a rope. That's going to be my spot right there. Excellent question. I was waiting for you to ask me that one.
1: The answer, again, on a very superficial level, but it's really simple to understand. There's a certain pride, a certain symbolism. When a person points to the tribes and says, hey... This is the tribe of Reuben, perfectly arranged. This is the tribe of Shimon, perfectly arranged and organized in a very meticulous fashion. And then, by the way, over there, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, our leader, he is right there. And he is amongst us. He's one of us. And we're all encamped around him. And we're encamped around the Levites. And then, in the center of it all, is the tabernacle. That's a tangible sense of pride that it brings to the Jewish people. We're supposed to have that pride. We're supposed to feel proud that we are the chosen nation. Hashem chose us from all the nations. That's a blessing that we make every day. We're supposed to feel that. And when you have something tangible to point to and say, Hashem chose us. I will dwell amongst you. And I'm going to take this physical tabernacle and show that I'm dwelling amongst you. In fact, there are those that say that the reason for the building or the purpose of the tabernacle was to show that Hashem has atoned the Jewish people for the sin of the golden calf. So the point was that the nations of the world were taunting the Jews and they were saying, Oh, you know, these people are terrible. They sin with the golden calf. And Hashem said, No, I'm going to demonstrate that, I've, that they, because they've repented, and because they've done shuva, that, you know, I've accepted their repentance and I'm living amongst them. And how did he demonstrate that? With something tangible. There's no room for argument when Hashem shows physically that I am resting amongst you. I am with you. So even if you don't say that's the purpose of the tabernacle, even if you don't say that it was there to show and to demonstrate that Hashem has atoned for the sin of the golden calf. But the idea is the same. It was a physical demonstration that Hashem was amongst the Jewish people. So I could give an analogy. Let's say, you know, obviously this is just an analogy, but let's say somebody lives in the block with, for those of you who are into sports, Shaquille O'Neal and uh, Kobe Bryant, okay. right? He's no longer with us. But you're living on the block with these two stars. There's a certain pride. You know who I live on the block with? I live on the block, and, and a guy's proud to talk about it. I live, I live on the block with Shaquille O'Neal, and I live on the block with Kobe Bryant. It's something special about living on the block. Now let's take it up a level. A guy lives on the block with the president of the United States. There's a certain pride. Can you imagine living in the camp with God himself? There's a certain sense of pride and a certain symbolism
0: and there's something too i guess the fact that he made us build it that there's he gave us the the blueprint and he had us build it because it goes back to this whole idea of being co-creator this so this relationship where he gives us the illusion that we are we're we're doing something for him
1: correct there are those that say that and i just want to add to what you're saying that when we say building, we don't necessarily mean physically. Now, of course, in this case, in the tabernacle, it was physical. People had contributed copper and gold and silver, and they were co-creators, so to speak, in this house of God. But that wouldn't work with the future temple. Some say that the future temple is going to come down from heaven. So how would you reconcile, you know, that concept with the future temple? So you'd have to say that building doesn't just mean busy- building physically, building spiritually. Our mitzvos. We say that there's this concept that every mitzvah that a Jew does is putting another brick into the temple.
0: We in, in exile are the, the temple. I guess our shuls are too. So we're, we're, we're building it through all our Yiddishkeit now, which is why the actual structure itself will, I guess, the, they say they will just drop. Drop from the heaven. Me. Beautiful.
1: <laughs> there's actually a debate exactly how it's going to be built because one place it says it's going to come from heaven. The other place says we're going to build it. So how do you answer that? So some say it really depends on the merit of the, of the Jewish people, you know, how high of a spiritual level we'll be at when the time Mashiach comes, when the Messiah comes, are we going to be on that level that it should just come ready built, already packaged package from heaven, right. or we're going to have to do something, you know. There's different answers to that question, but assuming that it will come down from heaven, then you'd have to say that we're building it spiritually.
0: Can you talk a little bit, Rabbi, about the, the actual sh- structure of the, the Mishkan, which the temple just basically mirrored, the the structure of the mishkan correct
1: quite similar it wasn't it wasn't a hundred percent you know it wasn't an exact replica but yeah
0: so so there was a a structure with the the sacrifices were then the structure where the the ark was can you talk a little bit about that and any the significance those various components of the temple
1: so i mean we could sit here all day and go through every single one of the utensils and the dimensions and what it represented but one thing I will say is that there was symbolism, there was tremendous symbolism there also. So for example, let's say you would take the shulchan, which means the table where the bread was. So of course, even nowadays, when we say a person has to make money, the guy says, I gotta put bread on my table, right? So that was where the spiritual flow or the spiritual energy for the rest of the world, for, for sustenance came from, from that, through that table. When they did the service that brought through, through the temple, and through that service brought the spiritual energy, the spiritual vitality for sustenance in the world. Now, the dimensions were very interesting that was, we could discuss that also. But there was a little crown around the table. There was like a little crown around the table with the, with the bread on it. And why was that? Because the idea is, is that we're not just here to make money. We're not here in this world to make money. So we were limiting our sustenance. In other words, we were trying to say, you got to control your, 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 your physical Drives and you're a driver running after money just for money. There's got to be a little crown at the edge of the table to show that like it's got to be in control. Of course, we you know the idea of being in this world is to elevate the mundane. So it's not a, we are here in, on one on one hand to make money, right. but but there's got to be a cap. There's got to be okay, you know. Okay, now it's time to study Torah. That crown is there at the end of the table to show us that and to symbolize that.
0: And also that the reason we want that physical sustenance is in order to serve God and not for as a means and end itself. Correct.
1: That's another, that's another point. That's a very good point, which you bring up that. It's not a means unto itself. In, in other words, enjoy the food, enjoy the money, but don't forget to thank Hashem for it. Right. Don't forget to make a blessing.
0: And don't forget to use the energy and, from that.
1: And don't use the energy for that to serve Hashem better.
0: Right, exactly. The, the Holy Holies, you know, with the Ark in that, that special place, I believe the Kohen Gadol only went to on, on Yom Kippur, I believe what I remember reading is that that, that was like the, the point of prophecy, but not for Moshe, just elaborate uh, a little more on that. Well,
1: why was it the holiest place? So first of all, as you said that the, uh, I think you mentioned this, that the the, tabern- the the tabernacle or the temple was sort of a, uh, a mirror of, well, you mentioned more that the tabernacle was, the temple was a mirror of the tabernacle, but the temple actually was a, mirror of the temple on high in other words there was some type of connection between the spiritual flow from upstairs from heaven and there was that connection geographically it wasn't just randomly that we picked the the jerusalem as the place for their for the temple we, we chose jerusalem because of the temple on high the spiritual presence or the spirituality that we discussed the revealed spirituality was most intensely felt in the heavens in jerusalem and that was sort of the connection between the, the heavens and the earth was, in that, was at that point. And specifically, the Holy of Holies was that connection, was that conduit where the spiritual flow would come through. And why was that? There are many reasons for that. But one of the reasons is we know the Aron, the Ark, the what was in the Ark? The tablets. And the, the Torah, right. The right. tablets and the Torah. Now, what is the Torah? What is the tablets? So, I mean, this is very deep, but on a basic level, the Torah is the wisdom of God. What is the wisdom of God? The wisdom of God is one with God. We have this concept in Judaism that the wisdom of God is one with God, which means that whereas in a person, a person has a piece of information, one plus one equals two. That's a piece of information that the person has. And he could share it with you. He could say, hey, I have this piece of information. One plus one equals two. Let me teach it to you. And now you have the piece of information. He's given it to you. But he didn't give you a piece of himself. He's giving you a random piece of information. But by God, the wisdom of God is one with God. So the Torah... That's why there's such an emphasis in studying Torah and learning Torah in the Orthodox world because that is the ultimate connection with God because the wisdom of God is one with God. And again, we could, this could be a topic unto itself, but the idea that the Torah was housed there and the luchas, the tablets were housed there was because that's what brought the spirituality. The, the Talmud tells us that the spirituality came through Torah study and the, the spirituality that came through the Holy of Holies came about through Torah study. And there was a Torah there. It wasn't just randomly that there was a Torah there. It wasn't just random that there was the tablets there.
0: That that represented Torah, Torah study. And okay. So you're you're saying that the the, the temple itself, there is a there was a spiritual version of it in the like heavenly dimension. And and this is sort of served as that that portal, that touch point between these two physical spiritual dimensions. <laughs> right? Yeah. And it's sort of like it's like I have a sci-fi movie, and this is where, like, where the where all the, the the blessings and spiritual life force for everything and sustenance all would flow through here.
1: Going back to the symbolism of the of the the physical structure and the pride, and uh, there, there's something to be said about that. You know, there's a story with Sir Lord Montifier, Moses Montefiore, right? He, you know, familiar of them. Okay, so he was a lord. He was knighted by. Uh, uh, he was knighted in England, but. When he heard about anti-Semitism in Russia that was going on, so he traveled through Russia, and then afterwards he went through Poland, he went through different parts of, of the world. He, he was a very wealthy person, and he had these footmen that would come around with him. He, had these, he also had these guards to protect him, and there was somebody that called out to him. He said uh, somebody called out to him in, in Warsaw. He was going through Warsaw at the time, and some Polish guy called out to him a hey, Jid, which in, in English means Jew. OK, right? but he wasn't saying it in a uh, in a positive way. He <laughs> right. was, He's was trying to you know, <laughs> right. knock him a little bit. So he said, you know, in England, in London, some people call me mayor. Some people call me Lord. He said, and the guy was like, you know, waiting to hear what he had to say. Like He says, but the most dignified title that I can have is Jew. And he says, come over. He calls the guy over. comes, calls the guy even closer. And the guy starts running away. He thought, he, you know, Moses fire is going to, you know, do something to him. He had one of his footmen run after him, bring him back to him. And he paid him for calling him Jew. Um, so what's the idea? The idea is, is that, you know, Jew is, Jew is not a dirty word. Jew is, I'm proud to be Jewish. And, and we should be proud to be Jewish because we're, we're God's chosen people, right? And sometimes we have to be reminded of that. And especially in the world where people are... You know, putting us down sometimes. We need that symbolism. We need that pride. We need God to physically live amongst us to show us, I am here with you. You are my chosen nation. We say also in Asher, we say, Atah Kadosh v'shimcha Kadosh. You are holy and your name is holy. We're talking about God. Now it's a random blessing because all the other blessings in the 18 blessings of the prayers, we're thanking Hashem for something He's given us. He's given us sustenance. He's given us healing and health. He's given us other blessings. Why are we thanking Hashem because he is holy? Like, what's that got to do with me?
0: Right, which basically means separate, distinct. Separate,
1: like, right, separate, and he's different, and he's perfect. And like, yeah. but what's that got to do with me? And the answer is the same. The answer is exactly what we're discussing, that we're really thinking Hashem, that Hashem, you know, again, using the analogy of living on a block with somebody, or in this case, we could say, imagine being the assistant of the president. If you work for a lowly boss, you're not going to go announce it to everybody, but if you're working for the president, oh boy, are you going to announce it? Because you're proud of it. So we're saying, Hashem, you're so perfect. And you know, what's that, you know what that's
0: got to do with me? That's got everything to do with me because we're your chosen people. Right. It, it, it impacts the way, if, if you're the uh, spokesperson for the president of the United States, it impacts your demeanor and how you communicate to people and how you act and what you aspire to be to, re- to represent that person. Correct. Right? And that's... Yeah reminds us what our responsibility, what our responsibility
1: is. is. We're yeah. supposed to be lying to the nations, as, as we all know, and sometimes we need to be reminded of that. So when we have this tangible, physical reminder that God is physically here with us, that just brings it to life.
0: So when we had the temple, there was a physical manifestation to some degree, from what I understand, of God's presence with us. But, but what was that exactly? What gave it describe that to me, what we experienced back then, so we can sort of have a better understanding of what we are anticipating for the future.
1: So the way I try to explain it is picture everybody has one or two moments or has had one, two, three, four, sometimes ten, and sometimes more than that, moments in their lives where they've experienced this spiritual Excitement this, this spiritual explosion And there was a certain pleasure That came along with it So for example For some people It was a prayer They just prayed their hearts out And they felt super connected And they said Wow I wish this feeling Would never go away right. Or Sometimes it's a kindness A person did a kindness A person went out of his way For somebody else And there was a certain Feeling of spirituality That feeling of like Wow I felt so good I did something good And we know that That really comes from a Connection with God Because that's really Emulating God's ways Right? Kind, Hashem is the ultimate giver So when a person does kindness A person goes out of his way to be a giver And feels that feeling of spirituality That spiritual high That is what they felt Their entire life They, fe- they felt this, this, this intense Excitement for spirituality It wasn't a one time thing It wasn't just after a long day Of Yom Kippur Davening That a person is like Wow I wish this feeling never goes away they felt that all the time. They felt supercharged. They felt that passion, that fire, that excitement for connecting with God and that spiritual sense of meaning that we ourselves could somewhat relate to on a smaller level, that we've experienced something once or twice in our lives. That happened all the time with them.
0: And now we all tend to have these sort of ebbs and flows throughout the year where we, we feel like God's presence is there. We know He's looking after us, and maybe we're giving Him some naches for our our efforts. And sometimes you're just like, "Are are you there? Do you still remember me?" (laughs) Right. Right. It just seems like it was it was at just a much higher level back then. I do recall reading that there were some things that were happening, like when they brought the offerings up. That you mean as far as the miracles that happened? Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, there definitely were miracles. I mean, the the we know that the fire never was extinguished. We know the menorah, the the the, the middle lamp never went out. I mean, there were tremendous miracles. There was this smoke that went up. There was the the Talmud tells us that the the lights, the illumination of the of the candelabras of the menorah, lit up the entire Jerusalem. I mean, these were obviously supernatural. This wasn't natural. There also, we can the, the Talmud tells us that according to some opinions it's going to be no more wars. There's going to be peace. There's, you know, that's a miracle. I mean, look at the world now. <laughs> we're, we're, we're talking as we're talking is Russia, Ukraine going on, right? Right. I mean, imagine that there'll be no more wars. That's a miracle.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay. So that makes sense. Now we're in this place, we're in exile, waiting in the third temple. How do we recreate the temple atmosphere as best as we can in our lives today? Because I've heard there's some some symbolic nature of even our homes and our relationships that, that reflect this idea.
1: A husband and wife, a mini temple, the way they live in their home, if they bring godliness into their home, so they're sort of infusing their home with spirituality. We know that the synagogues and the study halls, the Bet Midrash, that's also a mini temple. How so? Again, because these are places where sort of directing the spirituality, they're supercharged with spirituality, and we can infuse spirituality in these places. And we can direct spirituality to these places and um, make them into many temples.
0: Rabbi, I appreciate you coming on and sharing this amazing idea of why and clarifying for us. He wanted to have this dwelling, why he wants in the future, how we want it, what it means for us and what it means for the rest of the world. So thank you so much for coming on and clarifying this deep concept for me and the audience. Thank you very much.
1: If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Torch so they can continue to spread Torah wisdom to the world by making a donation at torchweb.org and clicking donate in the top right corner of the page. And if you would like to get in contact with our host with comments, suggestions for future topics of learning, or questions for him or his guest rabbis, you may email him at president at torchweb.org.